Welcome you, especially if you are a student. Um, please do take the opportunity at the end when we have tea and coffee. If you're upstairs, come downstairs and have tea and coffee and introduce yourself and eventually we will get to know you. Um, I would like to apologize right now for the fact that if you come six weeks in a row, six weeks in a row, I will ask you your name and at some point you will say it's the same as it was last week and the week before and the week before. But I just have that kind of brain. Um, unless you've got a name like Jambo, which is quite easy to remember. So if you all give yourself nicknames, that would be superb. It's also, I think, wonderful. We've just been singing, uh, he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. And uh, my hope and prayer for you is that that is the case. Now we are going to turn to Romans chapter 8, and uh, we're going to look at verses uh, 18 to 25. I'd hope to look at to verse 27, but there is no chance we will get that far. Um, as we're going through Romans 8, I, I keep finding myself thinking, this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Well, these are my favorite verses now. Uh, I was looking at this, and it's just, it's just so connected and so wonderful, because sometimes you think you're going mad. You think the rest of the world's going mad, you think you're going mad, and it's only when you come to the Word of God that you're able to understand and grasp what's going on in the world and in your own life. Please don't do it the other way. Don't come to the Word of God and judge it by what's going on in the world and what's going on in your life. Do it the other way around. So I'm going to read um, from verse 18 through to verse 25. I consider that our present sufferings, this is on page 1135, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Well, this morning we are going to look at suffering and glory and climate change and the universe and creation and why bad things happen and what are we doing here and why do we get ill and what's going to happen in the future and our bodies and overeating and sex and death and medicine and study and worship and Jesus and eternity. So we better get going because that will take a wee bit of time. And let me just begin with this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, which I thought was very appropriate. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. And that's our purpose, you see? Because I want you, we want you, God wants you. When you hear his word, it's not just to be about you, it's at the end your response will be that you perfectly love him. And I hope you will see uh, why as we go through this. We spend a great deal of time studying, uh, especially those of you who are students. 
Uh, please don't be distressed at what I'm about to say, but you have come here to study, and today I'm going to ask you to expand your mind beyond what you study, beyond your immediate circumstances, and beyond your immediate studies. Martin Luther said this, how many foolish opinions belong or befog our philosophy? And he then quoted the Roman philosopher Seneca, who said this, we fail to know what is necessary because we study unnecessary things. Indeed, we do not know what is good for us because we study merely what injures us. Now, that is not intended to put off those of you who are medics. Um, It's very important that you study what injures us. But if you study that merely, then you're missing out. It's why, you know, there are some people who need to be told to study harder at their courses. There are other people who need to be told, whoa, you need to back off and you need to get it in a wider context. And what happens every Lord's Day here, morning and evening, is you get the wider context. And there's really nothing wider than these verses because we're looking at suffering and glory which go together. The suffering and glory of the creation and then the suffering and glory of God's children. So, he says this, he considers our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You, You need to stop and meditate upon that verse because some of you are really suffering and you've just been told that God's promise to you is not he's going to take away your suffering right now but that your suffering right now is not even worth comparing what is to be the glory that is yet to be how does Paul know this he considers One of the problems in the church today is far too many people don't consider, they don't think, they just feel. So you feel miserable, so everything must be miserable. You feel bad, you must be bad. Feel good, you must be good. But your feelings are so unreliable. You need to consider, and you need to consider in the light of the gospel. And Paul, in the earlier chapters of Romans, has has been encouraging people to think And thinking is not just something that you do to pass an exam. It's not just something that you do to tick a box. It's something that you do in order to have your thinking changed and your life changed. (coughs) And that's what Paul does here. He, on the basis of rational thought, he works out, inspired by the Spirit, what the gospel promises for the future. Now we know, and you're very, very foolish if you don't know this, that there is a great deal of suffering in this world. Sometimes this causes people to question both the existence and the goodness of God. And scripture never turns away from this question, never. It never provides simplistic answers. So read the whole book of Job if you want to uh, get an understanding of it. But it never ever turns away from the question. Because... It, it answers it really. The best answer I think ever given is in these verses because the suffering ultimately points to and leads to God's glory. And what Paul does not do is he doesn't say, here's the suffering in the world and here's the God and, and his glory and you, you, you contrast these two things. They, they play off against one another. What he says is that the suffering of this world and the glory of this world compared with the glory of the eternal God, immortal and incorruptible, isn't comparable at all. 
Sometimes people will ask questions, and I'm glad I encourage you to ask questions. And a young man a few weeks ago asked me a question about how can God be eternal. Well, we're going to look at that this evening. But it's really important to grasp because our God is too small. We fit God into our own image, our own understanding. And we need, again, to move away from that. So what Paul does, he compares here the suffering and the glory. And he says that there's, there's, there's an absolute contrast. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, he, he says it another way. We don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen. So what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now there are two weights here. There are our troubles, which are light and momentary. And I don't say that lightly, because if you're in pain, if you're heartbroken, if you are, you've lost a child, you've had a broken relationship, if you're suffering from depression, if you have cancer, if there are just so many different things. You don't just say, they're light. But what Paul is doing is he's contrasting them with the heaviness, the glory. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for glory, kabod, is, is, is a word that means heavy. In fact, um, if we were back in the 1960s, and I often wished I was back in the 1960s because I was far too young to be a hippie, but if we were back in the 1960s, I could go, this is heavy, man. It's really heavy. And it is really heavy. Heavy in that sense. Heavy in the sense of weighty. Heavy in the sense of not light and frothy and trivial. If you want a church that does light and frothy and trivial, there's plenty of them. You want a society that does that, there's plenty of them. But we're not doing that with the glory of God. And so let's, let's look at what this glory is. Because he talks about the creation the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What is that? It's subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjects it. Let's look at that in a moment. But let me just give you some things about the, the creation. Um, creation is fantastic in what it teaches us about God. And you really ought to take the opportunity to get, to get out into the creation. I, I'm saying this completely unbiased. Uh, and as a totally objective opinion, but Scotland is by far the most beautiful country in the world. Uh, certainly compared to any country south of here, or even across the water west of here, whether you go a little hop or a long hop, it doesn't matter. There's nothing to compare with the beauty of Scotland. And the Scandinavian countries are quite beautiful, but they are not filled with Scottish people. So Scotland wins. Um, that is... Uh, an area up where uh, my parents live, Port Mahomac, is just looking out across. You could take millions of photos all over Scotland. And you, you sometimes think, do we actually live here? I, I was actually brought up there, and I never, didn't think anything of it. To me, it was just normal. And then you go away and you realize, you know, this all the while I lived in this beautiful place. Uh, this is Dundee, believe it or not. That's up in the Sidlaws. Make sure when you're in Dundee, can I say this especially to those of you who are students, if your student life consists of between this church, the university, and the center of town, you're really wasted being here. You need to get out. You need to go across 
Don't just go to St. Andrews. That's another university place. But you do need to go across there. But you need to go Broadie Ferry Beach. You, you need to visit many of the other... You need to go and visit Charleston, which beyond Charleston, Camperdown Park's really beautiful. And up in the Sidlaws, there's just this walk around... And this one in particular, I just go, you're kidding me. Every time I go up, it's just... It's like God could have created the world bland. And I don't mean it in a... In a, in a um, light way but he showed off you know he just it's just astonishing the stuff that's in the world um this is actually dundee from the tower building in the university and go to the cafe at the top there and buy yourself the cheapest coffee you can because it's just worth it for the view and you you can see all around dundee and what you'll find in november especially that the sunsets on the on the tay to the west are absolutely fabulous but We've got problems in our culture, in our society. This is the tsunami in Asia in 2004. A quarter of a million people died. Or this one is Haiti. Who knows this well? The devastation of the earthquake in Haiti, where the poverty of that is still being felt. Or this week we visited New York and visited the 9-11 memorial. And I remember, I well remember visiting New York many years ago, standing on the top of the Empire State Building and looking at the Twin Towers. And honestly, this is what I thought. These will crumble and fall. I thought of Isaiah. The nations are but a drop in the bucket. And to stand there and to see that and to be in that exhibition and to see the devastation of war in effect the devastation of terrorism, the absolute horror of the personal stories, utterly, utterly overwhelming. It's quite incredible. You crowd it in because it was very popular and people are there. And just as you go on, there's silence and silence and silence. If you've ever been to the uh, cemeteries in the north of France, the World War I and the World War II cemeteries, go with a group of teenagers. They're laughing and joking. And by the time they've finished, there's absolute silence. Because it's devastating. We live in this beautiful world and there's so much ugliness. There's so much disease. There's so much war. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. Now, you have to have an answer to that. Let me um, just go through this a little bit because it talks here about frustration. Um, In fact, Louise, can you move me back to just before the beginning of the photos? Because I want to look at that verse in terms of frustration. Now the word that Paul uses here in terms of frustration, he said it's subjected to frustration, is the same word that is used in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 where it says everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And it carries the idea of futility, purposelessness, emptiness. It's transitory. And death is the ultimate futility and transitoriness. How is that possible? How is that child who you held in your arms, who you cared for, how are they then dead? How are your parents dead? How, how is that beautiful person, how have they got cancer? How is that possible? Because it's, it makes everything seem so futile. And that's exactly what is being used here. Why do we live in a world where Mozart could die aged 35 years old? Surely he could have done much more. The former minister of this congregation, McShane, aged 29, he died in the midst of renewal and revival. What was God doing? Well, 
How do we answer those? There's a secular vision of the future. The universe is either going to implode or explode. There's no other. They accept it's not going to go on forever. So it's going to implode or it's going to explode. And all these memories that we say will live on forever. No, they won't. They're gone. It's all futile. It's all empty. It's all pointless. It's all nada. It's all nothing. The mathematician and philosopher Bertrand Russell, a hundred years ago, used the second law of thermodynamics to attack the idea of God, theism. He said this, that in the second law, it states quite simply, the universe is dying. It is a scientific fact. The Bible says it here, but it is a scientific fact that the universe is dying, descending inexorably into chaos as its reserves of useful energy are squandered. And Russell reflected on the vast death of the solar system that will follow when the sun burns out in several billion years' time. And he just says this, Grief and powerlessness is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls pitiless and dark. This is your secular hope, by the way. Blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on its relentless way. That's why Russell said, in the absence of God, we must build our lives on a foundation of unyielding despair. We are, he said, a blob of carbon floating from one meaningless existence to another. Well, that is the creation without God. It's beautiful, but it's dying. It's beautiful, but it's corrupted. It's going to be destroyed. On the other hand, long before Bertrand Russell, the Christian preacher Chrysostom, the Greek silver-tongued preacher said this, you see how God has provided us for on either hand, leading us by the beauty of the elements to the knowledge of his divinity and by their feebleness, not permitting us to lapse into the worship of them. And what he said was this, the earth is extraordinarily beautiful and because of its beauty, we see something of the creator. But because of the pain and the suffering and the dysfunction and everything else, we realize that the creation is not the creator and we are forced to look elsewhere. The creation will be liberated. That's what Paul says. It's frustrated, but it's liberated. And it's liberated from two things. It's liberated from its bondage to decay. The earth is decaying. You are decaying. I am decaying. Some of you who are older, you are fully aware of that. You do not spring out of bed and run 40 miles in the morning. Some of you who are younger, you're going, decay? What are you talking about? I can go forever. No, you can't. And there will soon come a time when you'll go, my, where have all the years gone? That happens to everybody. And you say, it's not going to happen to me. Yes, it is. And yes, it will. We are all decaying because nature is enslaved. It is in bondage. Conception, birth, and growth are always followed by decline, decay, death, and decomposition. There is real pain in the world. Pain is not an illusion. But we're going to be liberated from that says Paul, and we're liberated to something. We're liberated into the glorious freedom of the children of God, out of bondage, into freedom, out of decay, into glory, out of corruption, into incorruption. God's creation will share in the glory of God's children who share themselves in the glory of Christ. And that is the whole vision. You you need to understand 
when you're reading the Bible, you always go to other parts of the Bible. And particularly, the prophet Isaiah, this is what he talks about. He says, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will, be rem- will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. How is creation ruined at the moment? By us. Global warming's not new. Mankind didn't live a long time ago and was perfect, and, and, uh, and it's only nowadays modern Western industrialist capitalist corruption is destroying the world. No. Ever since humanity brought sin into the world, the world has suffered. God's glory in his creation is hindered and obscured by our selfishness and self-absorption. The whole creation has been groaning. That's what the earthquakes are. That's what the diseases are. It is the creation groaning. It's pain. It's suffering. But this is what Jesus says about that. Uh, Louise, can you move on to the, the Matthew verse, please? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. These are the birth pains. The frustration is in hope. The bondage to decay gives place to the freedom of glory. The pains of labor are followed by the joy of birth. I'm not saying that when a woman gives birth, and please forgive me as a man for speaking on this, um, I have observed, but um, I have not participated. There's, uh, despite the fact that apparently in our society we're able to do whatever we want, but we, some of us as males can't do that. But... I'm not saying the pain is completely, oh, I don't remember the pain at all, but the joy of what comes makes the pain insignificant or relatively insignificant. And here's the promise. The universe is not going to be destroyed, but it's going to be liberated and transformed and filled with the glory of God. It is wrong to believe in an immaterial heaven, an ethereal heaven, a kind of uh, spiritual heaven. It's wrong to think that the earth is just going to be destroyed. I know that First Peter says that, but First Peter is talking about the fire of God's judgment which comes to renew. The Christian hope is different. The secular hope is the world's going to be destroyed, bizarrely, The Christian hope is the world is going to be renewed. There will be a restoration. This present creation is not going to be replaced, but redeemed, renewed, and restored. We are going to be redeemed, renewed, and restored. There will be a change. I love what what Calvin says, and if you're new here, you will note that I managed to cite Calvin virtually every sermon, and I'm sorry, when I'm studying and I use his commentaries, he just says so many beautiful things. He says this, there is no element and no part of the world which being touched as it were with a sense of its present misery does not intensely hope for a resurrection. Now, we're not being Disney-esque here. We're not saying animals think things through. We're not saying trees, you know, clap their hands and have feelings. But what we're saying is this. We're saying the whole creation has been so suffused with the glory of God that when the glory of God is taken away, when it's corrupted, when it's perverted, that whole creation longs to be restored to its creator. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, 
It intensely hopes for a resurrection. The mountains, the trees, the animals. I don't get Christians who don't care about the creation. I really don't, except as an argument for God. The creation is a reflection of our creator, and the creation is going to be redeemed. That's what the word of God says. And then verses 23 to 25, that's the suffering and glory of the creation. We'll say something about the suffering and glory of God's children, but that will also come further on in, in Romans 8. Here's the deal. We're part of the creation. As the creation groans, so do we. What does that groaning mean? The word that he uses here is the suffering of emptiness. Because God is not there and is deemed irrelevant, there's a sense of futility and despair. You know where that emptiness is seen? It's seen in so much art. I'm seeing one of our fine young artists sitting at the back on the couch. He's an artist. He's allowed to do that. Nursing mums and artists allowed to sit on the couch. No one else. But um, I'm not saying this about all art. But I'm telling you what I am saying. Much of contemporary art is futile and empty. Much of contemporary theatre is futile and empty. Much of what you see on, um, in the movies is futile and empty. I haven't been to see Mamma Mia 2 over... You know, a bed of hot coals dragged with nails will I be go to see it. Because I did see Mamma Mia 1. And I'm sure it's fun and I'm sure it's great. And I'm sure if you like that kind of chick flick or whatever it is, you will love it. But <clears throat> I'll tell you why. It's because it's just so futile and empty and shallow and, and pretentious. And that's what's being spoken of here. It's seen in the lost and the lonely and in the vast number of suicides. It's seen in the need to take drugs. I just read a a book by a a Glasgow rapper called Loki, which is a brilliant book, Poverty Safari. It's an absolutely brilliant book. He's not a Christian. But my goodness, he gets so close to the problem. Or identifying, he certainly identifies the problem. And I saw yesterday in the newspaper that he's warning there's going to be a thousand deaths in Scotland from drug abuse and he says it's not stopping it's not going to stop and he said this is why because there's an emptiness and a hopelessness and drugs fill that for a while it's seen in the empty sex and the futile anger it's seen in the depression and the loneliness and the frustration and the despair we are part of the creation that groans you may be ill at the moment you may suffer from depression and you may feel wait wait a minute Are you blaming me? No, I'm not. I'm saying you're part of the creation that groans. It may not be any your fault at all. We're part of this creation. It's no more your fault than it's the fault of the 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 trees that are split in an earthquake or by lightning. Secondly, he says we have the first fruits of the spirit. And this is again just such a brilliant thing. Because he said that the first fruits was the beginning of the harvest. And it was the promise of the fruits that were still to come. And they held what was called the Feast of Weeks, which celebrated the reaping of the first fruits. Do you know what that was called in Greek? Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? On the Feast of Weeks, on the Feast of the First Fruits, the Holy Spirit came. Do you know what Paul is teaching us? The Holy Spirit coming is the fulfillment of promise, but it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Don't keep looking to go back. It's only the beginning. That spirit is a guarantee, is a seal. He is a seal of our adoption and the redemption of our bodies. It's a bit like a membership card if you want to get in somewhere. Um, 
This is not a card to paradise. I have a season ticket book for Dens Park. I'm not sure how much I'll use it this season, but um, it's my membership card I get in. Your membership card as a Christian is the Holy Spirit. In the um, old free church in the Highlands, I've still got some. To take communion, you had to be given a token. Have you got your token? And it was a wee metal thing with an inscription of the church. Fascinating. And you'd come to the table and you'd hand in your token. The elders would give you your token during the week. And have you got your token? There was an old famous Lewisman who uh, was asked, have you got your token? And he said, no, my token is here. And he was right. His token, our token, is the spirit. So why do we groan if we've got the spirit? Because we're still in this world because our salvation is still not complete. Because we share with the frustration and the decay and the pain. Because we're physically frail. Because we're mortal. And also because we are Christians, we may experience extra suffering. So what does he say? We wait for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Marvelous. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed we will not be found naked for while we are in this tent we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that which is mortal may be swallowed up by life now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come grasp this as a Christian The most wonderful experience in your life is to become a believer. It is to be filled with the Spirit. It is to know Jesus. And sometimes you wander from that and you want to go back to that. But please understand this. There's more to come. There's yet more to be. The relationship between God as our Father and us as his children has not yet been fully revealed. Our spirits are alive, but one day the Holy Spirit will give life to our bodies. Again, I, I don't want to keep you here all day, but what's that like? It's full salvation. It's, it's salvation from the outpouring of God's wrath on the day of judgment. It's deliverance from sin in our life. It's the obliteration of our sinful nature. It's the redemption of our bodies. It's a world in which you have a body in which there is no cancer or possibility of cancer. There are no hernias. There's no toothache. There's no need for doctors and dentists. That's why all you guys who are training for these things right now, it's temporary. You understand that? Focus your eyes on what's eternal. Remember that. There's no pain. There's no tears. And so, he says, we have hope. Door rang yesterday, or the door bell went, and I went to the door. Something I haven't seen in a long time, a Jehovah's Witness. Do you believe that God is good? Yes. He was so shocked by that answer. He, he, didn't, he actually didn't know what to say after that. Would you like evidence that God is good? No, thank you. I've got plenty. Uh, do you... Do you um, and he was, he was floundering with his Watchtower magazine and his uh, Bible on his iPhone. Trendy, the Jehovah's Witnesses now. And do you, do you believe that, that um, uh, other people should be given evidence? Absolutely. But not yours. The evidence we've got is the evidence of God's creation. I've just been preparing all this, so I mean, I was ready. He was getting a, a, a pretaste. All I can say is he left the door absolutely shell-shocked. Uh, well, I'd better go then. I said, yes, that's fine, but please don't tell people that. 
tell them about Jesus and show them the Bible because we have hope. See, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a little bit right. We are going to live forever on planet Earth, but not the planet Earth they talk about, the renewed one, the restored one, where God makes his dwelling. We don't know what it's like because it's a hope that's unseen. It's like you've got this packaging and you know that there's something wonderful inside it, but you don't know what it is. You've been given a wee hint. John Stott says this, there are some Christians who grin too much and groan too little. There's no place in their theology for suffering. Everything's prosperity. Everything God is going to bless you and give you this and heal you. It's wrong. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's blasphemous. But there are some Christians who forget hope. Because look what he says. We wait patiently. We eagerly wait. We suffer, but we eagerly wait. We don't stoically wait. Oh, this will be over sometime soon. No, 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 no. We eagerly wait. Eagerly. We wait patiently. It's what it's like to live in between times. We're saved in hope. Some people are too eager and some are too patient. The too patient ones, dare I say this, lose their expectation They become lethargic and apathetic and pessimistic. They forget God's promises and they are guilty of unbelief. Others of us are too impatient. We are over-enthusiastic. We try to force God's hand. We are determined to experience now what is not even available yet. We talk as if the resurrection had already taken place, as if a Christian should never get sick, as if we're not subjected to frustration. That is to rebel against God and to disbelieve his word and not believe his promises. That is to say what you did on the cross isn't enough. What you promised for the future isn't enough. I want to experience it all now. And God looks in absolute astonishment. What are you doing? What are you doing? The time will come. Stott again says we need a patient eagerness and an eager patience as we wait for the promises to be fulfilled. Now, I have run out of time, so we will do the Spirit next week. Um, But I do want to just summarize this practically. Just some bullet points. We need to care for the creation as we care for our bodies. In our crazy, messed up world, there are too many contrary views about the body and the creation. In in terms of the body, we, we worship it, don't we? And yet we want to be released from it. We spend hours in the gym, and then we say what our body tells us about our gender doesn't matter. We are whatever we feel. No, we're not. You're not whatever you feel. You are what you are. And that includes your feelings, but your feelings can be messed up. We need to care for the creation. We need to care for our bodies. Paul says, Follow, join together in following my example. It's often told you before, now tell you again, even with tears, many as live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You'll have a body like Jesus. I don't know what that is. It's a bit like what you've got, but it's also totally different. It's just a fantastic prospect. But that doesn't mean in in this life you abuse your body, and it doesn't mean you abuse God's creation. That's why greed, overeating, drunkenness, and sexual immorality are so wrong. What is wrong with seeking pleasure through your body, through sex, which God has given? Because you are not using it for the purpose that God has given. 
It's like God gives you a feast and you eat so much that you throw up and are sick all over the place. That's what sexual immorality does. It's not that Christians have a low view of sex, it's we have a high view. And that's why as a Christian student, for example, when you're under all those pressures, it's because you have such a high view. Not because you have a low view. Not because you think sex is dirty. But the opposite. You have such a high view. You say, I'm not going to abuse my body like that. Listen, Christians were doing the Me Too movement long, long before the world. As a woman, you say, you don't know. You don't touch me. You don't use me. You don't abuse me. And the same with men. It doesn't happen. We don't. We're not going to abuse our bodies. And we need to be involved in the world. At the end of the first three Christian centuries, there was a tendency to despair of sexual immorality, paganism, disruption in society, and everything else seemed to overwhelm the church. And many within the church, including some of the church fathers, retreated into monasticism and into negative views of their own bodies. There were many attempts to withdraw from society, and one of the things that the Reformation did was turn that around. So that in the Netherlands, for example, they shut all the churches during the week. Why? So that people could go and live in the communities, come and worship God on the Lord's Day, learn about Jesus, and then go and live it out. Don't live separate from the communities that God has placed us in. We need to be involved in this world because this world is perishing, but this world is going to be renewed because your neighbor is perishing and your neighbor will be renewed either in heaven or they will go to hell. That's everyone is going. C.S. Lewis's brilliant image of a every person you have, you have never met a person yet, he said, who was not destined to be a being so glorious that you would bow before it and worship or destined to be in such a horrific position that you would shudder in absolute horror. We need to be involved in the world. That's the point of, of not just Charleston, but elsewhere, everywhere, in the university, in Broiferi, in, in your work. This world is going to perish. Everyone agrees with that. It's only the Christian who says it's going to be renewed and people can be renewed. And that's why we need to study Christ and his word. That's back where we came in. Luther was right. It's high time we devote ourselves to other studies and study Christ. Whatever you are doing, your life, your calling, your justification, your identity is not to be found in the fact, even of your family or of what you study or anything else. It is to be found in Christ. We read already 2 Corinthians 4.18. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. How oxymoronic is that? How can you fix your eyes on what you can't see? Because God gives you sight. Because God enables you to see Jesus. Because Jesus is brought to you through his word. And I hope that if you came in here today thinking, how do I cope with the suffering? How do I cope with the darkness in the world? How do I cope with the pain? What is going to happen? That you've heard God's answer and his answer is Christ. And everything, everything is going to point to the glory of Christ. Now next week, we'll look at how the Spirit helps us reflect that in terms of our prayers and our own feelings. And hopefully, the week after that, we will look at how that then means that God works for good, for the good of all those who love him in everything that happens. But what a wonderful, wonderful 
Savior we have. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm, I'm telling you, you have the two options. You live in a world that's perishing or you live in a world that's going to be renewed. Which one are you going to be part of? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your beautiful word. Thank you that as Paul brought it to the Romans, he also brings it to the Dundonians. We bless you that your word always remains true, that the passing fashions of this world, which we study so hard and which we become experts in, within generations are useless to us. So we pray that whatever you've called us to in this world, that we would above all filter it and focus it through the lens of Christ and his word. And may your blessing be upon each one of us, especially those who feel the groans of creation, who feel the suffering. Oh Lord, we, we plead with you to grant healing even in this temporary measure, but we grant you most of all to enable us to see a vision of the glory that's yet to come that will so far outweigh our present sufferings that we will consider them light. For we ask it in your name. Amen. We're going to finish by singing um, a song, Who Has Held the Oceans? And as we reflect on that, remember he is the one who also holds us. We'll stand to sing and uh, please remain standing for the benediction. Then after the benediction, tea and coffee will be served. Please, as usual, there are two serving stations on either side. Please get your coffee and move away and let others uh, come and get theirs. Uh, Let's stand and sing this to God's praise.